0: We're looking to the word of the Lord uh, today, and I want to speak to you on the subject, life's greatest discovery, life's greatest discovery. I'm going to be bringing the word to you from the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 34, and I want to uh, concentrate our attention on uh, this great account of the word of the Lord, 2 Chronicles chapter 34. This has to do with repairing the house of God. We are looking at the reign of King Josiah. Uh, King Josiah has always been an inspirational uh, figure to me personally because he uh, started his work for the Lord at such a young age. Uh, The anointing of God came upon him at the age of eight years. Uh, He was eight years old and the Lord anointed him to be the king of, of uh, Judah. And so uh, as uh, he begins to reign in Jerusalem. At the age of eight years old. He does so. And then of course his life. As it as it begins to unfold. His ministry or his, his anointing. The anointing of God that was upon him. Was something that uh, brought him to a very special place. And we find that. Eight years into his reign, Josiah is, uh, finds himself seeking after God. So in Second Chronicles chapter uh, 34 and verse 3, In the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem, from the high places and the groves and the carved images and the molten images. Now, I want, to, uh, I want you to notice the process that occurred there. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David his father. This is important to do while you're young. You know, we can get into all kinds of trouble when we're young. And we can mess up a lot of things in life when we're young. And so it's very important that while we're young, we seek the Lord. It's very important. That's why children's ministry is so important. Why, why youth ministry is so important. Because it's important that we start living for God young and so that our priorities begin to get formed. It's why the devil is targeting children right now. He's trying to get them while they're young so he can throw them off course. And, and he's got a lot of agencies in our world to help him. That's why the church must be focused on reaching people, young people, children with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Josiah began when he was young to seek after the God of David, his father, specifically when he was eight years into his reign, which means he was 16 years old because he began reigning when he was eight years old. So at age 16... Josiah has a a Moment where he realizes I must seek after the God of David my father and in that search for God He begins to experience God and in the 12th year of his reign which would put him at 20 years old At 20 years old he began to act on what he was receiving from the Lord so his action caused him to purge Judah To purge Jerusalem from the high places and from the groves and from the carved images and from the molten images. Now we're at verse 4. They break down the altars of Balaam in his presence. The images that were on high above them, he cut down. The groves, the carved images, the molten images, he break them in pieces. "...and made dust of them, and strode it upon the graves of them that had sacrificed unto them. He burnt the bones of the priests upon their altars, and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And so did he in the cities of Manasseh, and Ephraim, and Simeon, even unto Naphtali, with their mattocks round about. And when he had broken down the altars and the groves, and had beaten the graven images into powder cut down all the idols throughout all the land of Israel he returned to Jerusalem now it's important for you and I to understand that Josiah was going to be the king that that God would spare from the captivity and God spared him from the captivity because of his righteous heart toward God the people of God were going to go into captivity because they had turned their hearts against the Lord But the Lord was going to spare Josiah because of his personal devotion to the Lord. And before his time came, Israel had fallen into terrible idolatry. Judah had followed into terrible uh, idolatry. And the the people of God, Israel, had fallen into terrible idolatry. And so when they did, God said, "I'm I'm going to let your captors take you captive. They had put all their faith in idols. They had put all their confidence in false gods. All of their worship, they had become absolute idolaters like the other nations. You be careful when you start worshiping the things the world worships. Because when you do, you fall captive to what holds them in bondage. This is why in Acts chapter 15 when the gentiles were stepping into coming into the the uh, new birth experience and the apostles didn't even know it was going to be available to them but here it is now they're coming into the new birth experience and one of the things that they forbade was the pollution of idols because you can bring the pollutions of idolatry into the Christian faith and there have been many pollutions of idolatries that have set up shop in the Christian faith. And and we have to cast down the idols that we allow into our faith with God. There are many things that we celebrate as being of a, of a Christian perspective when it actually roots itself in idolatry. And so there comes this cleansing that takes place where we cast down the molten images and we cast down the idols and we, 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 we take... Inventory of who we are, what we are, what we've got going on in our heart and in our mind. And so all of Israel had been filled with the idolatry, with the idols. And, and it began with a man by the name of Jeroboam. It actually began with Solomon. Solomon's wives turned his heart against the Lord. And Solomon letting down his own the guard of his own heart. Set the stage for his son Rehoboam to come to power. And when Rehoboam came to power. There was a moment when Rehoboam had, had decided that he would act with a heavy hand toward God's people. And it absolutely split the kingdom. Jeroboam was waiting in the wings. He couldn't wait for this opportunity because Jeroboam wanted to, wanted to have his own kingdom. And when Rehoboam acted to, in a much greater degree, heavy, more heavy-handed than his father. If you'll recall, and you may not, so let me share with you. His peers gave him the advice that he should be much harsher than his own father was. But his elders said to treat the people with kindness. He decided to go with his peers' advice and have a much harsher approach to dealing with people. Apparently for his own pride's sake. So he could really show them who was boss. And it was his downfall and the kingdom split. And so the kingdom split between Israel and Judah. Jeroboam is now the king of Israel. Rehoboam is the king of Judah. And there was a problem though that Jeroboam had. He now had his own kingdom. But, but every year the people of God, regardless of where they were in Israel, they would come back to Jerusalem. And they would come back for to worship. And they would, every time they re-entered Jerusalem, they would be reminded of who they are. Hallelujah. They would be reminded of the one true and living God. So Jeroboam had to create some kind of a system to keep them from going back to Jerusalem. Because every time they went back to Jerusalem, the likelihood of the kingdoms uniting became more more possible. And so he had to keep them from going back to Jerusalem so that they wouldn't be tempted to be reunited as a a kingdom. And so he created two golden calves. He put one golden calf in Dan and he put one golden calf in Bethel and said, you're not going back to Jerusalem. You're going to worship these golden calves, one in Dan and one in Bethel. Now that's interesting because Dan was as far from Jerusalem as you could get and still be in Israel. But but Bethel was so close to Jerusalem you could hardly tell the difference. You could hardly tell whether you were in one city or the other. And that's exactly the way idolatry works. There are some forms of idolatry that are so far from God that you are as far as you can get and still be in reality. And then there are other idols that are so similar to the real thing, but not, that you can't tell the difference. And you have to have a gift of discerning spirits. And so they worshiped God, worshiped these golden calves rather, instead of God in Bethel and in Dan. And, and, and this was the word of the Lord that came to Jeroboam at the time from a young prophet from Uh, Judah this young prophet came from Judah he came to Bethel and he spoke the word of the Lord to King Jeroboam and the word of the Lord was this you go tell Jeroboam that I'm gonna judge these calves and I'm gonna judge the idolatry there will be a king to rise up and his name will be Josiah and you tell him that that he has angered me and and this was the added instruction the Lord said don't go to the left don't go to the right. Don't go to anybody's house. Don't, don't go to anybody's house for dinner. Don't stay overnight anywhere. You just go and declare the word of God and come back. So the young prophet had his marching orders. He goes to Bethel. He walks in. He didn't go anywhere. He didn't stop anywhere. didn't go to anybody's house. Walks in, looks at King Jeroboam, points his finger at him and says, Here is the word of the Lord. You have angered God, the idolatry that you have established in Bethel and in Dan has angered the Lord and he will bring judgment upon you and there will be a king come and his name is Josiah. And it made Jeroboam so mad that he, he lifted his hand to order his execution and his hand withered in front of everybody. And the ashes of the altar that he was offering sacrifices, worshiping a false god, The altar rent open and the ashes poured out. And they knew that they had heard a word from the Lord. The young prophet leaves, but word has now traveled. And the word that a young prophet had come and spoken so boldly to King Jeroboam. that, That the word finally reached the ears of an old prophet. And the old prophet apparently was happy that somebody had the gumption to tell the king about his idolatry being a problem with God. And he said I want to talk to this young prophet, so he went for him, looked for this young prophet. You can find all this in 1 Kings 13. He goes and finds this young prophet and when he does, he uh, he says to the young prophet he was sitting under a tree, he said, "Listen, I want I heard that you're the prophet who told King Jeroboam that he had performed and committed idolatry and he has angered God and And the young prophet said, that's right, I'm the one. He said, I want you to come to my house and tell me more about this. He said, I can't do that. He said, the Lord told me not to go to anybody's house. The Lord told me not to to stay anywhere, but to go right back to, to Judah. And he said, well, I'm a prophet of God too, and the Lord told me it's fine. You know, sometimes when people have a personal conviction... And it has to do with something perhaps a little more strict than what we have. We get offended at them. The Lord told you you can't come over to my house. Yeah, the Lord told me I can't come over to your house. Well, what's wrong with my house? Leave people alone with their personal convictions. Let let them have a devotion to God that you don't understand. And so this, this, this this prophet said, I i got to keep going. But the old prophet lied. The Bible says he lied and said, I'm a prophet too. And you can come to my house. There's nothing wrong with my house. Come on over to my house. So he goes over to the prophet's house. And while he's there, the prophet is wanting to hear more about this prophecy, more about this king named Josiah. Who is he? And, and so as he is talking to the young prophet, the word of the Lord does come to him. And he is told that the young prophet will now die because he has disobeyed the Lord. The old prophet rises up and says, you have disobeyed God. You are going to die as judgment. And, and the young prophet leaves. And while he's on his way back like he should have done in the first place. But now a lion meets him in the way and kills him. Have you ever wondered why God gives instructions that don't make sense to you? I'll tell you why. Because God knows where the lions are. That's why. So when there's a a decree from God and you think, that doesn't really matter. That's not an important issue. That's not something I should even, (laughs) that's ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. You need to be very obedient regardless because God knows where the lions are. God has a map that's going to prevent you from running into unnecessary battles in life. And so this young prophet meets the lion. The lion kills him. The old prophet uh, can't can't uh, abide by himself. He goes out to where the young prophet is, finds him along the way, sees that he's dead. The lion and the mule are sitting at the respective ends of his body, at the head and the foot. And he says, uh, looks at this, and it's a terrible sight. And he's surely feeling some measure of responsibility for it. And, and all of it's kind of colliding into his mind at the same time and and he, he he proceeds to say bury this body and when you bury this body i want you to mark it because i want when i die for my bones to be buried with the bones of this prophet and they did they buried the young prophet and then when time and they marked the grave they put a plaque on it that said that this was the body of the young prophet who prophesied that King Josiah would come. And then they they prepared it for the for the burial of the older prophet. And when the old prophet died, they put the old prophet in there with the bones of the young prophet. And now, much time, generations pass. And those two golden calves in Bethel and in Dan. That was not the only idolatry that was going on after many generations passed. that's how it started but that's not how it stopped it started as that little golden calf in Bethel and a little golden calf in Dan not a big deal stop getting so upset about small things the devil will tell you because it's not gonna stay golden calf in Bethel and Dan and that's wrong in and of itself but the one little calf in Bethel and the one little calf in Dan multiplied, and now there are you multi fast forward generations later and there are calves and idols and molten images under every green tree on every high hill in every home everywhere you look there's idolatry 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 it's everywhere it is proliferated and, and, and now God is going to bring swift and certain judgment upon the people and let them go into captivity because they are idolaters. And so a king is born and his name is Josiah. At eight years old, the anointing of God comes upon this young man and he becomes the anointed king And as he enters into his reign, in the eighth year of his reign, something starts stirring in him. What's stirring in him is an ancient prophecy from a young prophet shaking his finger in in front of an idolatrous altar. Saying that there will be a king come, Josiah by name, and he will shut this altar down. And do you know that there were many revivals that had occurred between 1 Kings 13 and 2 Kings 23. Many revivals where idolatry was targeted, where idols were destroyed. But none that got to the root of the idols in Bethel and in Dan. And you've you've experienced many times in your life where you've had a cleansing, where you've cast down certain High things and certain idols. But but they keep coming back. And they keep coming back. Because you're not going to the root. Of where it all started. I'll tell you where the, the root. Of where it started for Israel. And for Jeroboam. It started when that kingdom divided. It started when Jeroboam. Was trying to create. A worship system. That would prevent people. From coming back to Jerusalem. And so it is that. So it is that King Josiah is 8 years old. Or pardon me, 8 years old, he becomes king. He's 16 years old, he begins to seek after God. And at 20 years of age, he realizes what he needs to do. He needs to purge Judah and Jerusalem. And he goes on a rampage. He has something building up inside of him. I'm going to tell you, when you begin to seek the God of David, your father... When you begin to seek the Lord with all of your heart, he will reveal to you where the idols are. Josiah knew where to go to tear those idols down. And he had he had determined in his heart that I must purge the land of these idols. Oh, friend, I... Listen, I want you to know you've got idols in your heart. You don't even know that they're there. And you bow to them every day. You have weekly obeisance to them. They govern the way you treat people. They govern the way you process thought. They govern your habits. And they govern your feelings. And you don't even realize it. But you've got to seek God. So God can reveal to you the idols of your own heart. Do you know that the the, the, the Jews had a unique idol that that they didn't really consider to be an idol? They had had an experience with God that was so profound where they they were complaining, they were murmuring against God and against Moses and God unleashed upon them venomous vipers. And there was a terrible, terrible scourge of vipers. And the deal was that the vipers were were coming from every which direction. And when the viper bit them, venom coursed through their body and they would die. And the Lord told Moses to build a brazen serpent and lift up that brazen serpent before the people. And when Moses lifted up that, it was a fiery serpent. When he lifted up that fiery serpent before the people, as many people as could lay their eyes upon that serpent would be healed. And Jesus explained in John three fourteen, even as Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness, so shall the son of man be lifted up. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. And the next verse says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Just as Moses lifted up that serpent, that fiery serpent in the wilderness, and all that could look upon that serpent, I want you to know when you experience the cross, it will stop the venom of sin in your life. Hallelujah. Oh, bless his name. I'll cherish that old cross. We're the dearest and best. For a world of lost sinners was slain. Hallelujah. I'll cling to that old rugged cross. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So they look upon that serpent and the venom is stopped. They are healed. They are set free. And it was a glorious and wonderful experience. Do you know that they took that fiery serpent, that brazen serpent, and they were so attached to that symbol that they placed it in the temple of the Lord. And the Bible says that when King Hezekiah came along, one of the ancestors to Josiah, when King Hezekiah came along, the Bible said he broke that brazen serpent down and cast it out of the temple And called it Nehushtan. Nehushtan meaning just a worthless piece of copper or brass. Now when Moses lifted it up, it was on fire. But after generations of worshiping the symbol and not understanding the God of the symbol. What once was on fire had become nothing but brass. Brass. Do you know what the Apostle Paul said about speaking in tongues? He said this. He said, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. And have not the agape love of God. I am become as sounding brass. Or tinkling cymbal. Now I'm talking about tongues folks. I'm talking about tongues. And in the day of Pentecost, those tongues were tongues of fire. But without love, they're Nehushtan. Without love, it's just, a, it's just an annoying sound. God doesn't care if you can speak in tongues, but you're cruel to people in English or whatever your language may be. If you're cruel to people in your natural tongue, and then you try to be holy. and sp- No, 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 those that's, that's just sounding brass. That's Nehushtan. It's got to be covered and saturated with the love of God. Otherwise, it's just an idol that has to be torn down. And so we can, we can really spiritualize our idols. We can, we can really magnify our idols. Do you know one king, King Ahaz, put the, went and saw the altar in Syria. And it was a golden altar. And he thought that altar looked so much better than our poor little pitiful brazen altar. So he brought had, had a golden altar built to look like the Syrian altar and came over and you know what he did? He pushed the poor little pitiful brazen altar out of the way and put this big beautiful golden altar there like the other nations have. But that wasn't part of the pattern that God gave Moses in the mountain. The brazen altar is brazen and not golden on purpose. Things don't get golden until you get into the inner court. Things don't get golden until you get into the holy of all places. Hallelujah. Things things aren't golden on the outside. They're golden on the inside. but, But now Syria's got that real nice golden altar where everybody can see it. And then they look over at our poor little pitiful altar and it looks, that thing just looks broken down. We need to fix it up. You be careful when you start trying to take what the world says and try to improve upon what God says. And King Ahaz comes over and says, get this little pitiful piece of furniture off and let's let's get this nice, big, beautiful gold. We'll keep it here. See how we justify things? We'll keep it here. But we want to do our own thing. I doubt there's some idolatry that, that we'll put in the temple. There's some idolatry that's in Bethel. It's so close to Jerusalem, you can't even tell it's different. But it is. And God said it's got to come down. And when you seek God, he'll show you where the idols are. When you seek God in prayer. When you seek God in fasting. When you seek God in the word of the Lord, when you seek God and pray sincere, earnest prayers of purify me, creating me a clean heart, renewing me a right spirit. You need to start praying prayers like, Lord, help me to feel the way I should feel about a certain thing. You need to start praying prayers like, Lord, don't let me be my own worst enemy. Lord, cleanse thou me from secret fault. Show me where the idols are. If the idol is on my computer, show me where the idols are. I'm casting it down. If the idol is in my career, show me where the idols are. I'm casting it down. If the idol is in my service to God and I'm doing things for the praise of men and not devotion to God, show me where the idols are. God will show you where the idols are. My God, have mercy. Hallelujah. It took him four years. He started seeking God, and four years later, he was ready to act on purging the land. Give people time. Give people time. They don't just just start seeking God and then all of a sudden know exactly what to do. Takes a little while. It took us all a little while, and it's taken us all a little while. Lest any of us think we stand... And then we fall. We're still a work in progress. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's some stuff I still don't get. And I don't even know that I don't get it. God is being so patient with me right now. God is being so kind to me right now. God is being so gracious to me right now. He's leading me so gently along this path pilgrim's pathway. Who am I? Who am I to reach forth my hand in a condemnation of someone else? I'm going to reach forth with the same kindness, loving kindness, tender mercies, gentle guidance as God has given to me. Praise the Lord. And so, so it took him a little while. He's eight, he's 16 years old. He starts seeking God. He's 20 years old and he starts purging the land Now I want you to notice verse number 8 of 2 Chronicles 34. Now in the 18th year of his reign, okay, in the 12th year, it took him four years to start seeking God at the age of 16. And at the age of 20, he starts purging the land. In the 18th year of his reign, at the age of 26, at the age of 26... He had purged the land. It took him six years. It took him four years to start purging. It took him six years to get the purging accomplished. But when he had purged the land and the house, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, and Maasaiah, the governor of the city. And Jehoah, the son of Jehoaz, the recorder to repair the house of the Lord his God. He's now in a position to deal with the house of God. Because he had purged the land. you got to get it in order. Before you start trying to repair a bunch of other stuff, you got to get what's going on in here. Cast out the beam that is in your eye. Before you try to deal with the moat in your brother's eye. You know, I, I, I love the fact that, the, that he didn't say forget about the moat. It's not that the moat is okay and everybody's fine with it. A little moat never hurt nobody. That's not the point. But if you start digging around in somebody's eye when you don't see things properly, you're going to do more damage. How'd you, how would you like it if you walked into your optometrist and they got a big stick in their eye? Yeah, lean back. You don't want them dealing with your eye. You got to deal with that first. And then you know what you're doing. My goodness, I'm going to tell you, I have tried so hard... So many times to deal with small specks in people's eyes and I didn't see things properly. And I ended up impairing their vision further. But when I began to deal with what was going on in here, then I actually could see a little more clearly. And I, 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 all of a sudden I knew what to say. I knew how to say it. I knew when not to say anything. Timing became a, a second nature to me. Because I could see clearly the beam has been taken out of my eye. So he gets the land purged. Now he can repair the house of the Lord. He begins to repair the house of the Lord. He sends them into the house of the Lord. And and, and, and as they go, the Bible says in verse, we're going to look at verse number, um, we're going to look at verse number uh, 14. When they brought the money out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord. Hilkiah. Everybody say Hilkiah. Hilkiah the priest found a book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. And Hilkiah, everybody say Hilkiah. Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah delivered the book to Shaphan. Shaphan carried the book to the king, brought the king word back again, saying, all that was committed to thy servants, they do it. And they have gathered together the money that was found in the house of the Lord and have delivered it into, his, into the hand of the overseers, into the hand of the workmen. Then Shaphan the scribe told the king, said, Hilkiah, everybody say Hilkiah, Hilkiah. the priest hath given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And it came to pass when the king heard the words of the law that he rent his clothes. I want you to know, life's greatest discovery is when you discover the book of the law of God. With a pure heart, with a pure mind, with a purged land. You've sought God, and and, and the greatest discovery you'll ever have in your life is when you take that precious book out of that holy house and you open it up with clean hands and a pure heart and an unburdened mind, hallelujah, and you read afresh the law of the Lord. It will bring to you, it will, listen, it will bring to you such holy conviction. You will see how far you are from God. We quote the verse, the joy of the Lord is your strength. But the reason we quote that verse is because it was necessary to declare in the book of Nehemiah. Not only were they rebuilding the wall. Not only were they trying to rebuild a temple. Not only were they trying to reinstitute all that was Israel. But but included in that would be the re-uttering of the law of the Lord. Something they had drifted from. and, uh, And generations had come and gone that had not heard the law of God not once in their life. And they were to hear it every year. Read aloud. And when they read it aloud in Nehemiah chapter 8. The law was so perfect. The law had such a high standard. It was such a lofty ideal. And the, and the reality of their own shortcomings. Was glaring as they looked upon the perfection of the law. And the Bible says that they wept. And they mourned. And it was to that condition that the statement was made. Weep not. Mourn not. This day is holy unto the Lord. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Hallelujah. Do you know why we preach Jesus? We preach Jesus inside, outside, Upside, downside, all through and through, over and over and over again, because it is necessary that people see that perfection. It, 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 when they see that his perfection, it reveals to them their imperfection. Hallelujah. That's why I have to look at Jesus. The, what did the writer say? He said, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that doth so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. How are we going to lay aside weights? How are we going to lay aside sins? How are we going to run a race? By looking unto Jesus. The author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, hallelujah, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Oh, hallelujah. Look upon that fiery serpent. Look upon Jesus at the cross. Look upon the way he treated his neighbor. Look upon the way, hallelujah, he lived his life. Look upon the way he forgave. Look upon the way he was devoted. Look upon the way he prayed. Look upon the way he took dominion over every unclean spirit. Look upon the way he treated those who were found in the act, the very act of sin. Look at him. Look at his perfection. The perfection of his motive. The perfection perfection of his thought, the perfection of his life, the perfection of his love. Look upon him. Look upon him. Judge not yourselves among yourselves. Look upon Jesus. Sirs, we would see Jesus. Show me Jesus. This world doesn't need to see Joel. They need to see Jesus. This world doesn't need to see us. It needs to see Jesus. Yeah, we're a city on a hill that cannot be hid. But don't you know what that hill is? That hill is Jesus. Yeah, we're the light of the world. But don't you know that it's not my light? He's the light. We walk in the light as he is in the light. It's the greatest discovery. His words. And he is the word. He is the word. It is life's greatest discovery. And you won't get it. You won't get it until you seek him. You won't get it until you purge the land. You won't get it until you cleanse your heart. You won't get it until you cast down every unclean thing. Those unclean things are blocking your view of Jesus. Hallelujah. Anything unrepented of is blocking your view of Jesus. Anything not thrown down at the altar of God is blocking and hindering your proper perspective of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. It's life's greatest discovery. Praise God. I want to turn your attention to the book of Jeremiah. I'm going to turn your attention to the book of Jeremiah. Now, now, I asked you to mention a name a few minutes ago. And so I'll, I'll, I'll just ask you, it's a rhetorical question. Do you remember the name? The name was Hilkiah. And, and we say, you've heard it preached, you've heard it taught, you've probably said it yourself. If you've never heard the story, probably you haven't. But, but if you have, you probably have referred to the fact that they discovered the law of God. In the house of the Lord. We, we, we do this kind of this vague they. But it wasn't just a they. It was a man. His name was Hilkiah. The priest. The priest found the book. And his name was Hilkiah. Hilkiah searched the temple. For every treasure he could find. He searched the temple inside and out in an effort to repair the house of God and what he discovered was the book. The book that God put in the hand of Moses upon the holy mountain. The book that generations had ignored, neglected and abandoned. The book that because it was tucked away and forgotten about, it gave way to idolatry rampant among the people of God. He found the book. Hilkiah found the book. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah. Something happens in your family when you find the book. Something happens in your home when you cherish the book. It's life's greatest discovery. It's more important than silver and gold. It's more important than treasures untold. It's more important than fame, popularity. It's more important than what people think of you. It's more important than the latest fads and fashions. It's more important than the trends of this world. It's more important than a fleeting thrill or a temporary high. It's more important than an adrenaline rush. It's more important than your favorite hobby. It's more important than sports or entertainment or politics or whatever. It's life's greatest discovery. It'll never grow old. The grass will wither and the flower will fade, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. (laughs) Thy word, O Lord, is forever settled in heaven. Ah, it lasts forever. Glory to God. I'm going to tell you what will happen in your family. Hallelujah, the word of the Lord will come unto your children and your children's children, saying, Behold, I formed thee in the belly. Before I formed thee, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Jeremiah saw all of it. He saw the captivity of Jerusalem, he saw it in vision. He saw the actual invasion. He watched the troops come in. He describes it in the book of Lamentations. He describes the destruction. He describes the terror, the torment. He's known as the weeping prophet because his message was so heavy and his life was threatened and and actually several assassination attempts, they tried to kill Jeremiah because of the message that he bore, but he was ready for his generation because his father found the book. Hey, I'm gonna tell you what, if you think the headlines are frightening right now, you just wait till we're all dead and gone to glory. And our children and children's children and children's children's children are dealing with the world that they have handed to them. We better get a hold of the book and we better put it deep in their hearts. And it, it better not just be something we open up in this room on Sunday morning at 11 a.m. and Wednesday night at 7 p.m. It better be something that we talk about when we sit in our chair. It better be something that we talk about when we walk around the house. And more important than talking about it, we better live it. It better be in our actions and in our deeds and in the way we live our life and the way we conduct ourselves the way we act out our character. There's some weeping prophets in your family. They're going to see things that you and I have never seen should the Lord tarry. And when they do, I'm going to tell you what, right in the middle of all those lamentations, people being torn to pieces, Bones being pulled apart. Sorrow and anguish and agony and suffering over and over. But right in the middle of it all, this weeping prophet whose father found the book in the house of the Lord said, Thy mercies are new every morning. Thy compassions, they fail not. Great is thy faithfulness. I'm going to tell you it's more, it's a greater discovery than if you found oil in your backyard tomorrow. It's a greater discovery than if you were left in a rich uncle's inheritance tomorrow. It's life's greatest discovery. It's the treasure in the field. It's the pearl of great price. It's life's greatest discovery. The book of the law of the Lord. Great Peace have they that love thy law. Great peace have they that love thy law. Oh, hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost. I feel the Holy Ghost. I feel the presence of God. I feel the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I told you about that old prophet who looked at the bones of that young prophet and said bury his body and mark the grave with a plaque and and when I die, put me in there with him. The Bible says they did that in 1 Kings 13. One book and 10 chapters later, Josiah is 20 years old and he goes on a rampage. He's casting down idols. He's breaking images. He's burning them. He's burning. He's dragging bones out of sepulchers. And he is burning and grinding to powder the bones of those who did sacrifice unto false gods on those heathen altars. But he comes to one grave. And there's a plaque next to the stone. And with a wild look in his eye. And the indignation of God running over. He said... What does this plaque say? It was an ancient language. So many years had passed. And those who could speak the ancient language. Came to interpret it. And they said as they dusted it off. They said. King. In this grave are two bodies. The one. Is of the prophet. Who called you by name. And said this day would come. When he said it, it wasn't popular, but it has come to pass. When he said it, it wasn't popular to preach the oneness of God, but it was still true. When he said it, it wasn't popular to live a holy life, but it was still true. When he said it, it wasn't popular to say we should seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto us, but it was still true. He called you by name and said you'd come. And King Josiah said, he called me by name? Yes. He said, then leave his bones alone. And as he turned to walk away, they said, there's another body in here. He said, who is that? They said, it's just another body in here with this prophet. He said, well, if he's with that prophet, he must be okay. Leave his bones alone too. I'm going to tell you, it matters what you're buried with. It matters what you're connected to. It matters what you invest in. It matters. Because, I listen, I know our world is full of debauchery and degradation right now. But there's coming a day when the word of God will reign supreme. There's coming a day when the whole world will be on fire. There's coming a day when the judgment of God will come upon this place like it did Sodom and Gomorrah. There's coming a day. There's coming a day when there will be judgment to come. You want to be... Be on the right side of it on that day. Hallelujah. I'm sorry, but I'm not getting buried with this world. I'm going to be buried with Christ by baptism into his death. And I will rise with him to walk in the newness of life. I'm going to bury myself in prayer. I'm going to bury myself in worship. I'm going to bury myself in faithfulness. I'm going to bury myself in loving my neighbor, in reaching the lost. Because when all is said and done, that's the only stuff that's going to last. And all that is, all that is famous, and all that is popular right now will be ground to powder and swept into the winds of time. Lord, bury me with the bones of the prophet. Let me find the book and the house of the Lord, that thing that will stand forever. Somebody stand with me right now, lift your hands to the Lord. Glory, <laughs> glory, 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 Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. You better get caught up with something that lasts. Hey, I'm going to tell you something. Stay in the church. The church is going to last. I said the church is going to last. Hallelujah. I said the church is going to last. Do you have any idea what the church has been through? Hallelujah. They tried to burn it at the stake, and all it did was catch fire and burn everything up. They've tried to destroy the church, but you can't because it's going to last. Do you know that they came to the body of Jesus Christ? And that's what the church is with the body of Christ. They came to the body of Jesus Christ on that cross. And when they did, they said, we're going to break his bones. We're going to break the bones of his legs. But there was an ancient prophecy and the ancient prophecy said a bone of his shall not be broken. I don't care if they took a saw to it. They weren't going to break those bones. It didn't matter if they put it into a grinder. They weren't going to break those bones. And when they came to those bones and they were about to break them, they looked and realized he was already dead. And they said, leave him alone. He's already dead. Thus was fulfilled the prophecy. A bone of his shall not be broken. And I want you to know this body of Christ no broken bones in the body hey we might get a stomach cramp now and then but you're not going to break these bones hallelujah we may even sprain an ankle every now and then but you're not going to break these bones Hallelujah. We might might have to limp sometimes, but we're going to keep on moving and you're not going to break these bones. The legs are going to work. The feet are going to work. The hands are going to work. The arms are going to work. The body of Christ will stand the test of time. It's life's greatest discovery when you discover him and his word. Hallelujah. I wonder if we could right now do what Josiah did and just start purging this land start purging purging lord anything that's not like you any snare of the fowler that i don't see that i didn't know was there lord take it away from me right now remove it from my heart remove it from my emotional system lord i only want you i want your peace i want your presence i want your glory show me thy glory Show me thy glory. I'm opening up these altars before we go. If you want to pray, you're welcome to come and pray. Show me thy glory, Lord. Show me thy glory, Lord. Show me thy glory, Lord. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Blessed be the name of our God. Blessed be the name of our God. Oh, we worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. Come on, that's it. He's gonna show you where the idols are. You're gonna find some idols you didn't even know you had. Tucked away in the, in the recourses of your mind. Tucked away the recesses of your soul. Tucked away things you've hid for a while. You've got so used to worshiping them, you thought they were God. It's an idol. He's gonna bring you back to the heart of worship. He's gonna bring you back, hallelujah, to you and him. He's gonna bring you back to the old landmark, to that altar, hallelujah, that altar, where it all started. (laughs) Come on, God's repairing some things. He's repairing our heart and our mind. Yes, he is, repairing the house of the Lord. (laughs) Hallelujah. For silver and gold, I wouldn't trade you for riches untold. You are, you are, you are my everything. Hallelujah! Oh, you are my life,
1: you are, are.
0: yes, hope Hope that I cling to, thank you, Jesus, you mean more than this world, world (laughs) I wouldn't wouldn't trade trade you, Lord, I wouldn't trade you, for riches, Hallelujah. You are my everything.
1: Oh.
0: My God, my God. There's a revival. There's a revival. There's a revival happening. My God. I'm telling you, there's a revival happening. There's a revival happening. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. You are the home that I cling to. Yeah, Lord. You mean more than more than this world, more than this world to Hallelujah I wouldn't trade I you, wouldn't trade for, you silver for silver and gold Wouldn't trade you oh, for riches, gold. riches untold Hallelujah Lord. Oh my God that's it let the, let the Holy Ghost have his way let the Holy Ghost have his way let the Holy Ghost have his way my God there's something happening here the Holy Ghost is moving in this house
1: God is answering prayer right now God is
0: answering prayer right now you are, you are my everything Hey, you